Welcome to the Wittenberg Hour. Richard M. Weaver said, Those who are in rebellion against memory are those who wish to live without knowledge. Hello and welcome to the Wittenberg Hour, where we explore big questions and discuss that which endures by means of that which has endured, that scholars may endure. My name is Jocelyn Benson, and I serve as head teacher of Wittenberg Academy. What is Advent? How might Advent be observed in the home? Joining us today to discuss Advent in the home is Mr. Justin Benson. Mr. Benson serves as president of Wittenberg Academy and also teaches vocation and stewardship for Wittenberg Academy. Mr. Benson, thank you for joining us today. It's a joy to be here. Advent is one of my favorite times in the church year. What a glorious way to begin the church year. Justin, before we delve into keeping Advent in the home, let's talk briefly about observing the church year in the home in general. Why is this important, especially in these gray and latter days? There are various ways that one could order their home life. In some, in many cases, uh, in American households, especially those with children, their, their lives are ordered around the local government school calendar. And then you can look at American culture more broadly and look at our secular holidays, uh, which may include professional sports or the other holidays that most businesses shut down on. <clears throat> but ordering our days in our Lord's peace is a way that we can order our family life that mirrors the life of our local congregation. So we, we observe Advent and Lent as penitential seasons. We observe Christmas and Easter as seasons of feasting. We observe the saint days in the church. Ordering our days in his peace provides our families and our children a foundation in order to understand the life of Christ in a, in a more ordered, systematic fashion. God created time, and he gives us time, and we are to redeem the time. And as the days and weeks and years go by, we are to redeem that time with his word. And in our homes, as the year goes by, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, we, we need to order our lives according to his time. And the church has given us over over the centuries uh, a form and an order of how we hear our Lord's word Sunday after Sunday, season after season, feast day after feast day. And there are ways that we can mimic that in the home and and affirm that in the home that provide our children with a foundation to really understand what our Lord has done for them and so that they can pass that on to, to their children as well, to our grandchildren. How is the Advent that the church observes different from the Advent that the world observes? And our listeners can't see us uh, to know that I put air quotes around the second Advent <laughs> that I mentioned, this Advent that the world observes, this kind of pre-Christmas situation 
how is that different from the Advent that the church observes? Well, I, I suppose the world does celebrate Advent or uses the word Advent. I, I went to Aldi recently, a German grocery store, and uh, there's are, you know, in Europe, just like in, in the United States, there are remnants of Christian culture still left. So they do have Advent calendars at Aldi, and you can probably buy Advent calendars at other retail establishments as well. But it seems it seems in American culture, and I think this has been the case for a long time, I don't know if this is just our Puritan roots or, or what it is, a disdain for an ordered church here as, as Americans that we have. And we Lutherans are kind of not at home here because of that, and that's probably okay. But we seem to, you know, we have Halloween and all the chocolate candy and the whatever costumes and all that stuff. And then as soon as that's over, that stuff goes on clearance. And then the Christmas stuff comes out. And then about Thanksgiving time, we just gorge ourselves with whatever types of food we gorge ourselves with until the evening of December 25th. And then that stuff all goes on clearance and we prepare for whatever the next commercial holiday is. I think it's Valentine's Day, I suppose. But as as Lutherans, as Christians uh, who are part of the historic Western Church, we've been given this season of preparation of of repentance before Christmas. And the celebration of Advent in the Church isn't really a baby shower for Jesus. It's not a time to gorge ourselves at office Christmas parties. But it's a time to ponder our Lord's coming. Advent means coming. So really, really, Christ has comes in three ways. And his first coming, which we really celebrate at Christmas time, we, we start to think about that. And we ponder the prophecies of the Old Testament that promised that, starting with Genesis 3.15 and going that, that resonate all through the Old Testament. But we also ponder his coming now. He comes to us in a word and sacrament now. He comes through the preached word. He comes through his body and blood. He comes through baptism. He comes through the absolution. And then a, a, a very significant theme of Advent, which really segues from the end of the church here is his final coming in judgment. And that is certainly a theme in the scripture readings and in the hymnody of Advent as his coming in final judgment to judge the living and the dead on the last day. So the season of Advent is, is very different from what our society, uh, our society observes the late November, early December, December or most of December versus the way the church does it. And if we can mimic this in the home a little bit more the way the church does it, I think we are able to have a much more full Christmas celebration when that comes around. So the the church has a season of of fasting and praying has a penitential time before a time of feasting, whereas you are suggesting that the world just skips the fasting and praying and goes right to the feasting. 
But you didn't use the word feast. You used the word gorging. So is there a difference between even how the the world gets to the, the celebratory time? Yeah, I don't think the world knows how to feast and sing. The world certainly does not know how to fast. The world does not know how to feast and sing. There, it's a very cheap imitation, if it's even that. Uh, feasting and singing is not gorging yourself, um, and that's and I don't think that is what the word feast ever intended. We seem to do that in America. That's what we do at Thanksgiving Day, right? We just eat until we are miserable, and feasting oftentimes means that we have special foods that we don't normally eat. For example, it doesn't mean eating so much that you can't can't breathe or can't function or whatever. So more specifically, how does the church observe Advent? Well, the, the Advent season begins the Sunday closest to St. Andrew's Day, which St. Andrew's Day is November 30th. We'll talk a little bit more about, I think, the saints maybe later in this podcast. But the first Sunday in Advent is called Ad Te Lavavi, if I have my Latin correct there. But each of the Sundays in Advent, if you use the historic lectionary, the one-year lectionary, and I think we at Wittenberg Academy like old things, so we're kind of biased towards that. But I know some of you may be members at churches that use the three-year lectionary and don't use those Latin terms. But those Latin terms are simply just the first part of the introit of the service. So there are four Sundays, and the liturgical color is, is violet. The historic liturgical color is violet or, or a dark purple. I know a lot of churches now use blue. Blue is the color for hope. But historically, the church has used purple or violet. And that is a penitential color, just like Lent. And then on the third Sunday of Advent, Gaudete, which means rejoice, it comes from uh, Philippians, uh, which is the start of the introit for that third Sunday in Advent. Uh, the, the, the violet is lightened and the liturgical color is rose. So some churches use rose as the liturgical color. Uh, if you have an Advent wreath, that's the week you'd light your rose candle. Or some people would call it pink, um, but it's a darker pink. It's, it's rose. So those Sundays are in, in Advent. One very interesting phenomenon about Advent is the reading, the gospel reading for the first Sunday in Advent, which is very interesting. We start on Palm Sunday, of all places, to start the church here. We start as Jesus enters Jerusalem and from Matthew 21, and that's the gospel reading. And you look at several of the hymns in Advent, and that really is the theme of, Oh Lord, how shall I meet you? That has that is really uh, a hymn about the triumphal entry, and that hymn also works very well to sing on Palm Sunday in, in churches. But also the hymn "Prepare the Royal Highway" uh, has has those themes as well of of palm branches being laid out for our Lord. And when we think about the end times as as Lutherans, as the way we understand the end times, and it's something I don't think we as Lutherans have probably talked about enough over the years, 
we have a very different view of the end time than most American Christians do. We're amillennialists, that, that is in our confessions. But the end times began when our Lord was crucified and rose from the dead. So really, our Lord's entering into Jerusalem was the ushering end of the end times. And we've been living in those end times for almost two millennia. And we are, we are still here waiting for our Lord to return. And while we wait, we, we praise him, uh, we ponder the things that he's done, and we serve our neighbor. So that first Sunday has that very famous reading of the triumphal entry. Our hymnody proclaims that. This reading is not just something that we Lutherans read, but historically Roman Catholics would have read that. The Church of England would have read that. The whole Western Church read that on the first Sunday of Advent. So that's, that is the text. So the second Sunday in Advent gospel reading is very much about the eschaton, the end times, continuing that theme of the end times. But then that third Sunday in Advent, there's a shift that happens. And the liturgical colors change, and there's a shift in the season. We have a, a brief reprieve on that third Sunday where the color lightens up. and But the gospel reading doesn't really lighten up. John the Baptist is in prison. He sends his disciples to Jesus to ask him if he is is the Christ. And there's been debate about that reading, whether John really doubted or not. I'm a layman, so their theologians have debated that for, for centuries. It's a good thing to have a conversation with your pastor about if you are, are curious about that. And then that fourth Sunday of Advent, as we get very close to Christmas, the color goes back to violet, and we're in the very first parts of John, after the opening monologue about the word becoming flesh and right before John proclaims behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world so we we get introduced to John the Baptist in the Gospel of John so John the Baptist really kind of takes over on the back half of Advent whereas the first half is very focused on the end times the eschaton so after Gaudete Sunday before Rorate Celi, which is the fourth Sunday in Advent, we have the Ember Days. So Ember Days are historical fasting days. They're Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday. Uh, Wednesdays and Fridays were historical fasting days for Christians uh, because Wednesday was the day our Lord was betrayed. Friday was the day he was crucified. And then you throw Saturday in there, the day he laid in the tomb. Ember Days come up about once a quarter, about the same time of the year that the seasons change. So we're we're at the end of fall here in, in Advent and heading into winter. The winter solstice happens during Advent. So the ember days during Advent are always after, always that week of Gaudete. So that rose colors on the altar just for one day, just for the Sunday. And then oftentimes churches will celebrate uh, with evening services, like a Vespers or a Divine Service, and they may there may be a sermon series. Your pastor might lead you through Luke chapter 1, those readings that really lead up to the birth of our Lord. Your pastor may also look at prophecies in the Old Testament, or there may be some other sermon theme that your, your pastor may lead you through in those midweek services during Advent. And we recommend that you avail yourself to participate in, in all those opportunities to hear Lord's word in your church and, and bring that home and that really marks your time as a family and and then when you come home you can 
you can do other things that we're going to talk about later to, to mark your Advent observance. So the church, in its observance of Advent, we obviously hear the word. We do things additionally that we may not do, or if a congregation observes midweek services on a regular basis, perhaps those midweek services kind of take on a, a different scope than what normally would have been observed. But we also see changes in terms of what we're seeing, which is is good for children. They see that the color on the altar has changed. They see other things in the church that they in in the church proper in the building that they don't normally see throughout the rest of the church here. And one of those things is the Advent wreath, and that provides a nice segue into. How then, thinking about what the church is doing, and you mentioned this a couple of times about bringing this into the home, the the life of the church orders our life at home. Starting with the Advent wreath, how can we, as families, bring what the church is doing into our homes so that the observance of Advent isn't just this thing that the church does, but that we realize that since we are the church, (laughs) we should be doing this not just on Sunday and not just on Wednesday or Thursday or whenever midweek services happen to be. How can we bring this into our homes? The Advent wreath being used in church is an interesting phenomenon. It really was much more folksy than that, and it was used primarily in the home as a way for families to count down the time or count up the time, however you may have it, uh, during the season of Advent to Christmas. And it just kind of made its way into the church, and then we just stopped using it in our homes, or many did. But it's something that we really need to recover in our homes and in our families to use for family devotions and for our families to count down or up the time to Christmas. It's very similar to our hymnals. Uh, In our modern times, our hymnals are in in the racks and the pews, and we use them on Sunday morning, and that's when we use them. But really, the hymnals should be used daily in our homes to use as a tool to pray to and praise our Lord. So the Advent wreath is one way. The Advent wreath has four candles. Oftentimes, there might be some greenery you could put in that. You can buy these at various Christian or Catholic bookstores. Uh, You can make your own, but they have four candles. They're very simple. Three of the candles are violet and one is rose. And you put the three candles in a row and and then you have the rose candle as the fourth. And you start, you light the violet candle opposite the rose candle and then work your way around. So the rose candle is the third candle lit. And then it kind of looks like a mountain at the end of end of Advent with the candles going from top to bottom as, as the one violet candle is burned the whole season and one is just burned a few days at the end of end of Advent. In our experience, our children love 
lighting and extinguishing the Advent wreath, the candles on the Advent wreath uh, during family devotion time, uh, at meal time, oftentimes is when we do that. And then the wreath really has a lot of symbolic meaning in terms of, for example, the Old Testament. As the people of Israel continued on in their history, the words of the prophets more brightly shined on the Christ, and it became more obvious of the details of who Jesus was and how he was going to come into the world and what he was going to do. And the Advent wreath gets brighter and brighter as we get closer to Christmas. So there's more and more light shining on our Lord. So during Advent, family devotions continue. I mean, they should always be happening year-round, but there might be a little bit of a different character to them. I do really like what uh, Pastor William Whedon has put together in his previous position at uh, the LCMS headquarters as chaplain. He put together Advent devotions and devotions for other times in the church here too, such as Lent and Easter. But these table devotions that he puts together uh, follow kind of a hymn stanza, a short prophecy, and a, a short devotional. Uh, he has put one together for 2020. You can give a small gift to the word of the Lord endures forever, and then they will send you this Advent devotional. So we recommend you take advantage of that if, if you're looking for a devotional material to use during this season. And our family is very biased to using the table prayer from the catechism generally in our home. But we do use Come Lord Jesus, which is very common for us American Lutherans. But Come Lord Jesus is very appropriate during Advent with the end times focus that we have. So our family uses that quite frequently. We actually sing the hymn version out of LSB, Lutheran Service Book. But that's also very appropriate to use during this time of the year. So the Advent wreath is in the home. And we have a devotional life that might look a little bit different than the devotional life during other parts of the church year. We have Advent calendars. You had mentioned that the Advent wreath helps us count to Christmas. Where does an Advent calendar fit in there? Because the world has certainly, you had mentioned Aldi, it's a way to make a buck, right? <laughs> an Advent calendar. And and there are all sorts of Advent calendars that, that you can get. But what is the place of an Advent calendar in the home? Yeah, historically, an Advent calendar would be counting down the days from the first Sunday in Advent, which really starts on Saturday night at sundown, all the way up to December 24th. And these would have different prophecies from the Old Testament that you'd open up that day and you'd read that prophecy. And that would be a way to count down the days to Christmas in our Lord's word. That would be the more historical. Now we can just, you know, eat chocolate every day or, you know, look at pictures of Santa Claus or whatever from, you know, the commercialized Christmas. But these can be made at home. You can make these yourself. And that might be a nice way, nice thing for your family to do at the end of November 
Maybe that can be your Black Friday project when you're eating leftovers after Thanksgiving Day, especially, you know, during these times that we live in. We're, I think we're recording this in 2020, so if you listen to this down the road. But if you're stuck at home, that'd be a great thing to do. Uh, order some items to make your own Advent calendar and include prophecies from the Old Testament of our Lord. And it's another great way for children to count down the days to Christmas. So whereas the Advent wreath helps us count the Sundays, an Advent calendar moves us along day by day by day by day. And that seems quite well in order with with the church year in terms of continuing to move us. The church year doesn't pause. It certainly begins and ends, but it seems easier to see the church year in a circle than in a line because the end of the church year comes and then we're right into to Advent. And so that moving, that ordering our days, it doesn't cease until time ceases in eternity when we are with our Lord. As the church year keeps us moving forward during the the season of Advent, there are a few places as we move along, especially in Advent, that saint days pop up for us. Tell us about these saints. And maybe it seems that these saints have some special observances that can help us in our moving through the season of Advent. Sure. There are several saint days during the season of Advent, and all these things that we do really do help slow the time down and slow our rush down. Maybe not slow the time down, but slow our pace down during the time to help us redeem the time. And it helps our children, too. Uh, there's so much excitement and anticipation for Christmas, and that, and that's great, um, but we're not there yet. And it's great to slow the time down and to, and to savor each day that we have uh, heading into Christmas. And this doesn't mean that each day is going to be perfect, and there will be rough days, and there are realities that we do live in this world. And you may have an office Christmas party that you really need to go to for your job because that, that's what you need to do for the job you're in. And that's fine. And you'll have family Christmas gatherings, and maybe some of those will be before Christmas. We, we live far apart. There are realities in life that may require that. But to, to get back to your question, the saints of Advent, and we talked about St. Andrew a little bit. St. Andrew is the first apostle. His, his day is November 30th, which... Whatever Sunday is the closest to November 30th is always the first Sunday in Advent. We pondered St. Andrew being called as, as the first apostle. This is where our Lord said, you will be fishers of men. So then, as we, we continue through the season, the next saint day that's very significant is St. Nicholas of Myra. We know very little about St. Nicholas, but... There's legend galore about him. He served as a bishop during the 3rd and 4th centuries in what would be modern Turkey. His saint day is celebrated all throughout Europe still to this day. 
Uh, it's a national holiday in many, many countries in Europe. So there's a plethora of things that you can do from various cultures of, of Europe. Uh, we in America have turned him into Santa Claus, which I think comes from Dutch language. The Dutch translation of St. Nicholas is closer to Santa Claus. Santa means saint. Um, but we, we have kind of transferred St. Nicholas to Christmas Day, and he's a big fat guy who comes on your chimney. But uh, it's nice to celebrate this on December 6th, and there's various types of food that you can make from various different European cultures. I think there's a website that's devoted strictly to St. Nicholas celebrations. It's also a great day to do your stocking stuffers. And another thing that we do in our home and that you can do if you desire or not is to kind of spread out the gift giving throughout starting at St. Nicholas Day. And we just, we keep that going even into Epiphany to kind of, again, to slow things down a little bit and to take our time doing things. Um, it's also a great day for giving, uh, being charitable to the poor. We'll talk a little bit more about that later, I think. But St. Nicholas, December 6th, is a great day to do things as a family, special food, different traditions that you can do. St. Ambrose of Milan, uh, celebrated the next day on December 7th, he's one of the four great doctors of the Western Church. And it's, it's great that his saint day is in Advent, and the reason for that is he wrote the hymn, Savior of the Nations Come. So Ambrose is the one who baptized St. Augustine, and Ambrose was fighting against the Arian heresy, which denied the divinity of Christ. So he wrote this great hymn, which has a fantastic confession in each stanza about how Jesus is fully God and fully man. And that hymn was kind of retooled by Martin Luther, the tune that we are so familiar with now was put together by his conter, Johann Walter, and it's it's a very popular Advent hymn for very good reason, and it's a great one to sing in, in your home and in church. Then we have on December 13th, St. Lucia of Syracuse, who is a martyr. She was martyred during the Diocletian persecution. Uh, it's, it's great to teach children about those heroes of the faith who withstood persecution and withstood martyrdom and made the good confession and, and died died for our Lord and died confessing our Lord. Um, but there's a lot of legend around St. Lucia as well. Uh, I think we know maybe know a little bit more about her than St. Nicholas, um, but not much. Uh, it, it's, very, it's a very popular saint day in Scandinavian countries, especially Sweden. And then there's St. Lucia Day bread or St. Lucia Day buns, which we make in our, our home, and they're quite delicious, especially with coffee. And and then girls can dress up like St. Lucia and then wear like a, it looks like an advent wreath on their head. Those are things that you can do on St. Lucia Day if, if you're able to. And then St. Thomas, the apostle, uh, his, his day is December 21st, which is quite an interesting day, again, St. Thomas, we think of the upper room on the octave of, of our Lord's resurrection, doubting that our Lord really rose from the dead and not believing it till he, he touched our Lord, put his hand into his side, touched the scar-marked hands of his, and really kind of connects 
the incarnation to our Lord's resurrection. And St. Thomas Day is, you're getting really close to Christmas, and this, this might be a time where you're getting your Christmas food prepared and working on the preparations for Christmas. It historically has been a day for well-wishing, uh, wishing, wishing people well. And in, during the Victorian era, this became a time when Christmas cards were written and sent, uh, which could be something that maybe we could recover a little bit more now. And Christmas cards being those, you know, where you write a nice note to someone and include a proclamation of our Lord's incarnation and, and the joy that we have in that. So in your summary of the saint days that we see in Advent, you brought up hymnody. And I must confess that Advent hymns are some of my favorite. And sometimes it seems like Advent is too short <laughs> to, to fit in all the fantastic hymns that fall in the Advent section of the hymnal. And certainly, I mean, we don't have to just sing these hymns during the season of Advent, but what fantastic hymnody has been passed down to us through centuries over time that we still are singing these same hymns that saints now in the church triumphant sang in days gone by. Yeah, Advent hymns are great. And maybe because we don't really celebrate Advent as Americans, we're, we're spared from those popular American folksy hymns that are very popular in America. So we, we kind of get the the Catholic hymns, the, the universal hymns of the church in this section of our hymnal. And there are ancient hymns that were written in Latin, and then there are quite a few Lutheran chorales in, in this section as well. And you're right, we'd we almost don't have enough days and services to sing all of them. This is a nice reason to have the Wednesday service so you can sing some more Advent hymns, or maybe sing them more than once. But... I'd like to talk about a few of them, if I can. Absolutely. Uh, we talked about Savior of the Nations Come. Uh, this is the hymn of the day for the first Sunday in Advent. And this was written by St. Ambrose. And then Luther, Luther kind of retooled it a little bit, made it more singable for a congregation. And then we changed the tune for the hymn. But this hymn has such a great confession of our Lord being fully God and fully man that, that goes through the whole hymn. And that, that hymn really kicks off Advent. It, it's, a, it's a joyful hymn to sing uh, for, for people of all ages. The other hymn that's very popular uh, during Advent is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, hymn 357 in Lutheran Service Book. And this hymn has become the hymn of the day for the fourth Sunday in Advent. Parate uh, Chaley. And this hymn is... Uh, a hymn that was written based on the great O Antiphons is translated by John Mason. It's based on the great O Antiphons. It was translated by John Mason Neal. John Mason Neal uh, is is a translator 
he's kind of the equivalent of Catherine Winkworth. Winkworth translated a lot of the German hymns uh, into English, whereas uh, John Mason Neal translated uh, Latin hymns into English. And they both lived at about the same time in the 19th century. So a good chunk of the hymns in our Lutheran service book were translated by one of those two individuals. But this time of the year, there were a lot of Latin hymns that made it made their way into English, and, and we have John Mason Neal to thank for, for that. But the great O Antiphons, so an antiphon is something, a verse that is sung before and after the introit, for example. But also, during Vespers, we we sing the Magnificat, right? That's the canticle after after the sermon. And we sing an antiphon before, and historically before and after. In Lutheran service book, it's only listed as before. I think in TLH, the Lutheran hymnal, it was before and after. And historically, you'd sing the antiphon before and after. But right now, the common, the common antiphon is let my prayer rise before you as incense, and then the congregation responds, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice before we start singing the Magnificat. Well, during different parts of the church here, there actually are other antiphons that, that you can use to sing uh, before the Magnificat. Also, they could be sang before the Benedictus during Matins. But starting on December 17th, these great O antiphons, that are called O antiphons because the word O is starts them out. So on December 17th, it starts out as O Wisdom, and then O Adonai, O Root of Jesse, O Key of David, O Dayspring, O King of Nations, O Emmanuel. And again, this goes back to the Old Testament and the promises that, are, that our Lord gives to us of his incarnation in the Old Testament. And we ponder those as we head into the late stages of Advent and, and go into Christmas. So O Come, O Come, Emmanuel was a hymnic version of these great old antiphons and singing that the last Sunday of Advent is very appropriate and is, is a great thing to do. As we look at other hymns, another one that, that we love in our, in our household and, and many of you should get to know this if you don't know this hymn, Hymn 334, O Lord, How Shall I Meet You? Uh, it doesn't have a stanza five in it. We always laugh about that in Lutheran service book. But this hymn was written by Paul Gerhardt, the great Lutheran hymn writer. And this really flushes out for us Matthew 21. And there are just some great, great poetry in here. Stanza four, love caused your incarnation. Love brought you down to me. Your thirst for my salvation procured my liberty. O love beyond all telling, that led you to embrace, in love all love excelling, our lost and fallen race. And then another theme that comes through in Advent hymns is many of our Advent hymns have, in fact, most of them. The first two I mentioned don't so much, Savior of the Nations Come and O Come and Come Emmanuel, but most of the rest of them have a stanza, at least a stanza, that really focuses on the end times because that is such a theme in Advent. So the final stanza of, O Lord, how shall I meet you? He comes to judge the nations, a terror to his foes, a light of consolations and blessed hope to those who love the Lord's appearing. O glorious sun now come, send forth your beams so cheering and guide us safely home. 
So that is, O Lord, How Shall I Meet You by Paul Gerhardt. And as we as we continue to go through Advent, we have you know the John the Baptist comes on the stage on the third Sunday. So there are several hymns in here that really have themes of what John said and about the accounts of John in the in the New Testament. So we have on Jordan's bank the Baptist cry, "Hark! A thrilling voice is sounding when all the world was cursed." And then another hymn. Another Lutheran chorale that is very commonly sung on the fourth Sunday in Advent, but could be sung any other time, Comfort, Comfort, Ye My People, which is really a fleshing out of Isaiah 40. And then a hymn that is older, but maybe newer to some of us, that we aren't have just kind of learned to become familiar with, is Creator of the Stars of Night, which historically was the Vespers office hymn. But this is a hymn that, that our family loves. And again, there's another stanza in there that really focuses on the end times. O thou whose coming is with dread to judge the living and the dead, preserve us from the ancient foe while still we dwell on earth below. So there are many great Advent hymns, many, many Advent hymns that I... I didn't mention, but get to know that section of the hymnal and, and sing those during your Advent observance at home and, and sing them at church as well. So in the home, we are, we are singing, we are having devotions, we are counting the days, we are anticipating, even as we are, as you've mentioned a few times, trying to redeem the time by slowing down by by being contemplative and intentional about the time before christmas and one of the things that you had mentioned early in this episode was ember days and the fact that there is a time of fasting before there is a time of of feasting. And certainly there are ebbs and flows because on some of these saint days, it feels like more of a feast than it does the fast that we would kind of feel during during Advent. Tell us a little bit more about this. Yeah, uh, Advent is a penitential season. And we did talk about some days where you may make some special foods. That's not during the whole season. Those are on very specific days. And keep in mind, Sunday is the Lord's Day, and, and, and you can have your normal food on Sundays. But historically, the church has fasted on Wednesdays and Fridays. So during Advent, you would fast on Wednesdays and Fridays. And then also on the Ember Days, which that's a Wednesday and Friday, but also a Saturday, so Ember Saturday. And then the other fasting day, which is really going to be countercultural to us is December 24th until you go to the Christmas Eve, Christmas midnight mass where you start to read Luke two and you would fast up until you receive the Lord's supper. And fasting means that you would eat one and one quarter meals generally, or one and one half meals during the day. So you'd, you'd skip a meal and then for another meal, meal you'd eat, quarter of what you normally eat and then you eat one one full meal 
and there's Christian freedom in this. We American Lutherans are not good at fasting, but it's a practice that maybe maybe we should pick up. Maybe we should do. Maybe maybe that discipline would be good for us. And it's not for children. It's not for those with underlying medical conditions. So keep those things in mind. If you're with child, you shouldn't be doing this. Those those sorts of things. But it is a practice that is good. And then what you do is you have, you should have extra time because you're not preparing and cleaning up after meals. And unfortunately, if you're if you're a family and you have, you're feeding children, you're probably still cleaning up after meals. But you should have some extra time, and this time would be devoted to to prayer, to being in the Word of God and, and prayer. And then also the extra money that you have because you didn't eat as much, you'd use that to give to those in need, which is which is always a good thing, and it's a good thing to bring that, have that be the motive, your motivation be the gospel rather than guilt of spending too much money on Black Friday to, to give to those in need. That is kind of the fasting, prayer, and almsgiving in a nutshell. This is one recommendation. There are other traditions that have occurred during Christianity, and if you have questions about fasting during Advent, that'd be a great thing to bring to your pastor. We opened this episode with a Richard M. Weaver quote that spoke about memory and knowledge. He said, those who are in rebellion against memory are those who wish to live without knowledge. How does this relate to Advent? Yeah, I think slowing down and hearing what our Lord has said in, especially in the Old Testament, but also in, in the New Testament, uh, the Old Testament about the prophecies of his first coming. And then we look at the what our Lord has said about his last coming, his coming in judgment. And our Lord doesn't lie. And the word of God is not, not just tradition. It's words out of our Lord's mouth written by men who are inspired by the Holy Spirit. But knowing what our Lord has done, what he's promised to do, how he's fulfilled those promises, and now what promises he has given us today in the forgiveness of sins, in life eternal, and his promise to come on the last day to raise all flesh and to give us his kingdom. And we need to go back to those memories that our Lord has given to us in his word and repeat those in our lives and hear those over and over and over again and revel in the joy that we have in our Lord's incarnation and also in the promise he's given to the resurrection of all flesh. Mr. Justin Benson serves as president of Wittenberg Academy. Justin, thank you for being here today. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today for the Wittenberg Hour. Be sure to subscribe to the Wittenberg Hour so as to not miss an episode. If you would like to learn more about Wittenberg Academy, please visit our website at wittenbergacademy.org. You can like and follow Wittenberg Academy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Join us again next time on the Wittenberg Hour.